All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24. How many of you like Bible prophecy? How many of you like Bible prophecy? Good, because we've been doing it for a while, and we're going to do it for a little longer. Uh, I, you know, God's given us his word, and, and because of that word, we can give context to these crazy times we live in, and we can have some understanding, and I, I think that's important as God's children, just uh, uh, by way of, of, of example. Uh, the other day, I was, I was watching uh, Chicago, or, or where I came from, I... I, I tell you, it's just, it's, it's sad uh, what's going on there, but um, all the headlines, and, and these, store, these big box stores are pulling out of all these big cities, and uh, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, and, and why is that? Well, we'll get into this a little bit. We're going to talk about the, the rich men in the last days in James chapter 5, and, and by way of example, George Soros uh, using his billions, uh, he has now affected the election of 20% of the district attorneys in the entire country, and he's got, gotten these soft-on-crime guys, and that's what's happened in Chicago, and uh, they know they can just go right into the store and steal whatever they want. Nobody can do anything, and so these, these stores are pulling out and these neighborhoods are decimated. And I'll tell you who I feel bad for. I feel bad for the honest people. I mean, pretty soon all the stores pull out. There's nowhere to shop. Then there's no jobs. People abandon those areas. And they just turn into wastelands. And the south side of Chicago is a classic example. There's places in Detroit. Uh, pick any big city in the United States these days. And it was almost comical to hear the mayor and some aldermen having a big rally and yelling and screaming at Walmart because they left. Those three or four stores, they've been waiting 17 years to make a profit. They haven't made a profit in 17 years. And they've been losing millions of dollars. And then they sat there and watched the, the powers that be just stand there with their hands in their pocket while hordes of teenagers come in and just raided the place. You know what they said? We're going home. And, and you know what? I said all that to say this. Um, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist is the lawless one. So, I mean, none of us want to see this stuff going on in our land or anywhere, but it shows a sign of the times. And it just shows that how ahead of everything the Bible really is. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to continue in this pivotal portion of, of scripture prophetically speaking this is the linchpin for prophecy both in the old testament pulling in the minor and major prophets especially daniel chapter 9 we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit and then it looks forward to the book of revelation and it is the it is the very words of our lord jesus christ in response to his disciples asking about his return and the end times let's go to the lord in prayer father thank you for allowing us to be together here this morning. Thank you that we have a reason to be here. Uh, Lord, we enjoy the social aspects of church, but Father, that's not why we're here principally. Uh, we're here gathered around the Word of God. We're here because we know Christ is our personal Savior and the great sacrifice He made for us and the substitution that He became on that cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Father, Pray for anybody in the building this morning or anybody looking online, Lord, that doesn't know Christ. May this be the day of days for them, Father, because as they look around them 
at a world that is coming off the rails, may they understand, Lord, it's going to get way worse, way worse after the church is taken out. Uh, may they indeed get saved and be part of that church, the body of Jesus Christ, those that are gloriously saved by the precious blood that Christ shed on that cross. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A little addendum to our study this morning. We got our Bibles, and you're in Matthew 24. And I'm going to show you something about studying prophecy that you may not have noticed in these chapters. Look at chapter 24 and look at verse 30. And I'm going to give you a lesson on thens. This is my thens lesson. <laughs> and you say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, when you're studying prophecy, uh, you get context many times by looking for that word then. He tells you about something and then he says, and then something else is going to happen. And, and you got to watch those thens. Pro, uh, Matthew 24, and uh, take a look at verse uh, 30. Verse 30. Now, if you look at verse 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And you realize you're, you're, you're hitting a fork in the road there, and something is uh, significant is going to happen. And then, and you go to the book of Revelation, and you can couple it with that cross-referencing. But uh, look at chapter 25. Look at chapter 25. Now, in chapter 24, Christ is telling us about uh, Daniel's 70th week. And then in particular, the great tribulation, the last half of that week, those last three and a half years, describes a lot of the things that are going to be going on. And uh, of course, the, days in a, the day we live in uh, is a precursor to all of that. And then you get to chapter, you get to chapter 25, and the very first verse, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And Jesus proceeds to talk about uh, those events coming up to his return, literally to the earth at the second advent, and then right after it, he talks about that. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. He he's now talking about the sheep and the goats being before him, and he says in verse 34, and then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father. But notice the word then. So when you're studying prophecy, watch that, especially when you're in a profoundly prophetic chapter like Matthew chapter 24. All right, uh, let's get back to where we uh, left off last week. And, and remember something, <clears throat> as believers, we're not going through the tribulation period. Praise the Lord for that, amen? Praise the Lord for that, all right? Uh, now look, salvation is primarily, and, and, and first and foremost, it is being saved from the penalty of our sins because we have sinned against a thrice holy God. Let's keep that straight. Because a lot of times uh, our, our preaching strays from that. Like for instance, in, in the kind of wishy-washy crowd, it's, it's about, well, you know, ask Jesus into your life and, and have your best life now. Right? You know, stuff like that. Um, uh, but even, even, even Bible-believing Baptist preachers, uh, we don't always get it exactly right, and we need to be careful about that. For instance, trust Christ as your Savior and let him save you from hell. 
All right, now look, if you're saved, you do get saved from hell. And that's a good thing. But it's not a matter of choose the best place, not the bad place. The reason we go to hell is because of our sins. Being saved from hell is a byproduct of being saved from the eternal penalty of our sins. And, and we don't repent of going to the wrong place. We repent of our sins. And as a result, we get to go to the good place, not the bad place. Same with the tribulation period. I, I want to say to you this morning, uh, I, I would get saved because I wouldn't want to go to hell for the penalty of my sins. I wouldn't want to spend eternity in eternal sorrow. Separated from the love of God and experiencing the wrath of God for all eternity. But I tell you what, it's nice to know that as an addendum to my salvation, an, an add-on, a special feature, as part of the body of Christ, as part of the church, I'm not going through the tribulation period. Now, I'm not going to tell you to get saved so you don't go through the tribulation period, but that would give you one additional reason. <laughs> Amen. And praise the Lord for that. Now, look, we're not going through the tribulation period, but you've got to understand something. Something Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 21 when he was talking about all this, to help his disciples to be settled when talking about these matters so they wouldn't quit, they wouldn't go off the rails because of circumstances, he said these words. He said, in your patience, possess ye your souls. And folks, we're already in those days. How many, you how many of you think it took patience to get through all that COVID nonsense? I don't care what side of the equation you were on. I don't care if you never blew your nose one time through it. You got aggravated with all the stuff that you were required to do by who's and what's a, right? Um, how many of you got a pretty good case of it and got really sick, sick, sick? Let me see your hand, all right? Uh, we, we had other issues, didn't we? I, I, there were times I didn't have time to worry about that, but I was pastoring the church, so we had to make a bunch of decisions about all that stuff, too. And man, when it first hit, we didn't know if this would be the Spanish flu again. You know, 1914, 16, 17, 18. <coughs> we didn't know what we were dealing with. Folks, when you read the book of Revelation, that little COVID episode we went through is nothing compared to what they go through during the tribulation period. And, and I think what Jesus said to those disciples in, in, in light of, in preparation of going through the tribulation period is, is applicable to us too. Folks, again, it's like I've said before, God doesn't just flip a switch between dispensations. You just don't go from the church age into the tribulation in, in, in one flip of the switch and then from the tribulation to the millennium in one flip of the switch and then from millennium into eternity with one flip of the switch, there's transition. And we're seeing stuff all around us, folks. We're seeing it. We're going to talk about some of those stuff. We're going to, we're going to Lord willing, talk about these rich men. Uh, and and, and I, I, I believe, you know, here's one thing. Here's one thing we've not experienced in my lifetime here in the United States, and that is a lot of starvation. I'm not saying there hasn't been people that have, uh, there hasn't been people that have starved, but uh, uh, most of us uh, don't have a not enough food problem. We have a too much food problem. 
But I'm telling you, there's some ominous clouds forming on the horizon. And, and you know, some of you might be tempted to think, oh, come on, man, we could never. Hey, remember 9-11? Who would have thought the Twin Towers could go down with a couple of commercial planes because of a half a dozen radical Muslims? Who would have thought that one? Uh, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, and safety is of the Lord. And folks, when you pray over your food, mean it. Because, because God provides that food. A lot of the world goes to bed hungry every night. Some go to bed starving. And it's something I'm afraid we take for granted sometimes. But uh, let me also say this to you. Uh, Jesus tells us to possess our, our, in our, in our patience, possess our souls. Don't go off the rail. Don't get thrown by circumstances. Don't read the Bible through the circumstances. Read the circumstances through the Bible. Let, let the Bible decipher what's going on around you. Don't start changing your theology because you saw something that, that rattled your cage. Just settle down, relax, and let God work you through it. And that's what Christ is talking about there in Luke chapter 21. Another thing to remember, according to Psalm 37, God is going to pay back the wicked. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Folks, our marching orders are still the same. Tell people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Tell people about the glorious gospel, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. All right, let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 24 again. Matthew chapter 24. And Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says in verse 10, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There's that many keeps showing up. The Lord is showing us a trend here. Many, 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 and we see it all around us. But then verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Folks, that's not a church age believer making it to the end of his life as a faithful Christian. That's a tribulation saint getting to the end of the tribulation without taking the mark of the beast. Okay? So next time somebody shows you that verse and says, see, you can lose your salvation, just smile to him and say, hey, do you got an hour? Let me teach you some Bible. Because a lot of Christians haven't learned much Bible, folks. And that's why they get all sidetracked on this stuff. So, and then he says in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And remember, we looked at this gospel of the kingdom, and we saw it in Revelation chapter 14, where an angel is preaching the everlasting gospel, and 144,000 uh, male Jews, 12,000 from each tribe in Israel, are preaching this gospel of the kingdom. And it's a gospel that says, it's a good news that says, hey, the king is coming, get right with God. Get right with God, and don't take the mark. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And then look at verse 15. And this is where we left off last week. He says, and when ye therefore shall see the abomination 
of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. He says, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter 9. And let's take a look at this portion of scripture again. And let me give you a few dates. Let's throw a few dates in here and a little context. And again, we, we can't stop and, and thoroughly study this out. Uh, honestly, we could be on Daniel 9 in these four verses for weeks if we really wanted to ring them out. But, but let's just whet our appetite here a little bit. And Daniel chapter 9 and verses 24 through 27 is an important prophecy because it gives a quick outline of the important events of the future for the Jews from Daniel's time to the crucifixion of Christ and then from the end of the church age to the coming of Christ to reign. Now, the calculation, the calculation starts with the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem given to Nehemiah in 445 B.C. Uh, remember, I said to you last week, the, the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders, when Christ came, should have known it was time for the Messiah to come. They weren't paying attention to their Bibles. They weren't paying attention to their Bibles. Look at verse 24. <clears throat> he says, 70 weeks. Now these weeks are weeks of years. So a week prophetically is seven years in this case. And he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. What is he saying? To wrap everything up. When you look at the end of it, it's all wrapped up now. Everlasting righteousness, sealing up the vision and prophecy, and anointing the most holy, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. And that's the date I just referenced, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes gives the command to rebuild Jerusalem. Now remember, there had been previous decrees before in 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra 1, but those were simply permission to build the temple, not the city. And right here he's talking about the city. And so when you look at it, you have a period of, of seven weeks mentioned in verse 25. Uh, and, and, and so when you take that and do the math, uh, you, end up at, you end up at 406 B.C. And then, and then in the same verse, verse 25 here, you have a period of 62 weeks. He says, he says here, uh, uh, to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. There's 62 more. And the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So uh, what you have here now is, is a period of 434 years is mentioned until Messiah the Prince comes who is going to be cut off, look at verse 26, but not for himself. See the first part of verse 26? And, and what does that refer to? Well, of course, that refers to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, just doing that simple math from, from 445 B.C. to about 30 A.D., 
They should have known, they should have known what we just did is we crucified our Messiah. We just crucified our Messiah. We just fulfilled the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. And then you see the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD foretold it in verse 26. And so at this point, the prophecy is suspended. 69 weeks have been accounted for, and one is still left. And, and what does God do during this, this interval period of time? He puts in a parenthetical period of time that's at least 2,000 years now, and it's called the church age. And Paul reveal, God reveals it to the apostle Paul to give to the body of Christ, and it's called a what? Who remembers that word? It's called a mystery. It's called a mystery. Why? Because it wasn't previously revealed. You know what it was? it was? It was something that God had as a plan B if his people rejected his son. Which, by the way, he knew they would do, right? And so when they did, he just said, okay, I'm going to put you guys aside for a little while. And I'm going to do something with the gospel going to the whole world. And I'm going to build a wonderful body, a body of believers uh, that includes people from every race and tongue and language and, 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 and kindred. And, and I'm going to put together all this. And when I'm done with this, then I'll get back to you guys because we still got seven years to deal with here, don't we now? We still got seven years to deal with. And so he says here, he says in the middle of verse 26, and he says, And the people of the prince uh, that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant, verse 27, with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, Keep your, keep your hand right there and turn back to Matthew 24. And let's go back to what Jesus said in verse 15 because this is the exact point that Jesus is referencing. This is exactly what he's talking about to his disciples. And in verse 15, he says this, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand and look what he tells them to do in verse 16. He said, this is when you need to run. Okay? You know what's really bothering me? We got Christians in America that aren't in the tribulation. The abomination of desolations hasn't taken place. We are not being persecuted overtly, not to any great degree. And you know what they're doing? They're running. Don't run. Stand your ground for Jesus Christ. God has not called us to hide in a cave. He's told us to put our light, what? Where men can see it, not bury it, not put it out where there's no oxygen. <laughs> and so he says here, he says there in, in Daniel 9.27, he says, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice, that is the Antichrist, is going to break the covenant, and, and with the overspreading of abominations, he's going to make it desolate. And, and we saw last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we saw last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, how, how the Antichrist is literally going to walk into the temple, plop down on the Holy of Holies, and declare himself to be God. That's what he's going to do. 
Now, we're not going to look at it this morning because I want to move on to this rich guy thing because it, it seems that in the news, that's all we hear about anymore is rich guys. Nobody else's opinion counts unless you're a billionaire. Then we want to hear from you. Um, that's prophesied for us. That's laid out for us in the Word of God. But you, before we do that, I, I want you to understand something. In Revelation chapter 17, and we'll go there probably next week, Revelation 17, John describes what's called the great whore, the harlot church. It, it's the church that professes to be God's church, and yet historically, the Bible says it's drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And when John sees this phenomenon, he wonders with great admiration. And I'm going to say to you, just, just to whet your appetite a little bit, people look for the Antichrist. They look for political leaders. They look for, they look for, uh, they look for military leaders. I could give you a whole list in, in the 50 years that I've been saved that people looked at. But uh, most of them miss it. It's going to be a religious leader. Revelation 17 tells us it's going to be a religious organization that ushers in the Antichrist. Now you say, who is it? I'll just give you a little hint. It's, it's someone that has hijacked the titles of all three members of the Trinity. The Vicar of Christ, Holy Father, <laughs> you know, just to name a couple of them, uh, ex-cathedrist speaking uh, from the chair uh, uh, infallibly, like inspiration of Scripture, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now we'll go there. But what you need to understand is at this point, in the middle of the tribulation period, three and a half years into it, the Antichrist pulls off the mask. He doesn't need religion anymore. And you go to Revelation 18, and commercial Babylon devours religious Babylon. The beast devours the whore that, that's, that's riding on it. And pretty soon, it's no more pretense of religion and Antichrist just gets up and says, I am God. And guess who's behind that? <laughs> guess who's behind that? The same one that tried to tempt Jesus with worshiping him, that offered him all the kingdoms in the world if, if he would just bow down and, and worship him. And of course, Jesus refused. Now, as we look around us, we see all kinds of craziness going on. And, and a lot of it has to do with, with rich people. And how many of you are old enough to remember when somebody that was rich uh, was a millionaire? Somebody was a millionaire. Somebody had a million bucks, however he had it, tied up in land, in a stock portfolio, uh, whatever. Um, that was a rich guy. <laughs> Not anymore. Now it's the billionaires. It's the billionaires. And by the way, they say a couple of them are creeping up to become, can you believe this? A trillionaire. You know, I think that would be a lot of work trying to keep track of that much money. How many of you this morning are glad you're not a trillionaire? How many of you are glad you're not a billionaire? <laughs> Less hands went up. How many of you are glad you're not a millionaire? <laughs> Four hands? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Folks, God's word written millenniums ago, folks, millenniums ago, 
is ahead of tomorrow's news. With all the these and thous. Okay? With all the these and thous. Those these and thous don't make it an antiquated book. No, no, no. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. <laughs> I'm looking for it and I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That is not going to work. James chapter 5. Verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them. And by the way, when gold and silver devalue, one of the terms they use in economics is rust. <laughs> when was your Bible translated? 1611. Oh, that's that outdated old English. No, it was just ahead of your college economics class, that's all. The rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire, and ye have heaped treasure together for the what? Last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I don't know if you ever looked at that portion of scripture and understood when he says at the end of verse 3, he says, you have heaped treasure together for the last days. This is prophetic. It ties right in with what the Bible calls the last days or the latter days or the times just before the return of Christ. And folks, they are upon us. They are upon us. Scientists at the University of California at Berkeley analyzed a person's rank in society measured by wealth, occupational prestige, and education and found that those who were richer were more likely to cheat, lie, and break the law than those who were poorer. Didn't Jesus say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, uh, you know, Marxism, communism, and all these different systems, wokeism, they think we'll just redistribute everything, and, and everybody will be happy, and everybody will be honest, and we'll all get along, and we'll have a utopia. And the more they try to do it, the more they find out about something that's in lost, unregenerate human nature, and that is this thing of greed. I mean, the multimillionaire John D. Rockefeller many years ago was once asked, how much does it take to satisfy a man completely? And this is what Rockefeller said, it takes a little bit more than he has. 
This is why Paul exhorts uh, Timothy to warn them that are rich in this world. And by the way, that's part of my job. And, and by the way, if you're wealthy, I don't begrudge that. If you're wealthy, I don't think it's a sin. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, being rich is not a sin, it's a miracle. <laughs> but he says, warn them that are rich that they don't trust in uncertain riches. We're told over and over again to warn the rich that they don't be arrogant. Bible says the rich answereth roughly. You know why the rich answereth roughly sometimes? Because they think, I don't need you. I, 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 I got more money than you could dream of. I don't need you. And some of them think, I don't need anybody. And this bunch I'm going to talk about this morning, they've got so much money, they've decided they want to run your life because they're rich. Becomes an issue of being power hungry. It's not a sin to be rich, but the Bible tells a preacher like me to warn the rich. So if you're wealthy, praise the Lord. Don't set your heart on it. Praise the Lord. Don't get arrogant. Praise the Lord. Be generous with it. Boy, I didn't get any amens on that one. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Do something for him with it. Because you're no different than anybody else. George Soros is 93 years old. You know how much he can take with him? Same amount you and I can. Same amount that some guy living in a tent city in Seattle can take. Nothing. Nothing. So, in fact, remember when Jesus talked about the rich man and Lazarus? He didn't hesitate to say that that guy that fared sumptuously every day, who had this poor man uh, laid at the gate of, of um, of his estate, covered with sores, he didn't hesitate to say that man was in hell. And I'll tell you what, it's a longer drop from a man that lives opulently to go to hell than a man that lives on the streets to go to hell. Man, I've watched some stuff on YouTube about some of the wealthiest people in the world and some of the stuff they buy, and I just, like... (laughs) I wouldn't even want that junk. You know, a, a, a bazillion dollar yacht, you know, where you're walking on gold plated this and silver plated that. That would make me nervous. You'd probably have to have an armada to guard you <laughs> from pirates. But Jesus didn't hesitate. Didn't hesitate. To talk about the rich man being in hell. Do you know Rockefeller was one of those uh, former generation capitalists like Ford and Carnegie and the Rockefellers, and, and, and they generally were more conservative than today's woke capitalism. And uh, I'm gonna tell you where woke capitalism comes from it comes courtesy of public education, especially at the college level. It comes courtesy of the entertainment industry. Uh, This woke capitalism comes courtesy of the media and the news manufacturers. They don't report the news anymore. They manufacture it. And and it comes courtesy of science falsely so-called. Starting with the biggest junk science, or it's debatable. 
I'm not sure what's bigger junk science, evolution or man-made global warming. But the devil doesn't care because he'll use evolution to get you to reject the creator and die without Christ and go to hell. Or he'll get you, he'll get you to reject the word of God worrying about the earth's temperature instead of worrying about your accountability to God for the sins you committed against his holy law. Science falsely so-called. Um, just not too long ago, I threw a, one of those creation moments in the back. And by the way, I'd read those. Those are so good. Those show so many aspects of creation. Those are in the back of your bulletin. Don't look at them now. Look at them later. But um, it, listen, folks, the more I look at God's creation... The, the more I'm convinced how wonderful he is. And folks, in order to believe that, that, that this is just all a big accident, you've got to want to believe it. You've got to have some bad motives. You've got to want to get rid of the God of the Bible in order to believe that stuff. When you just look at the way we're put together, David said it so well, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. When you look at the complexity of things that you can't even see with the naked eye that, has, that, that require a, a, a microscope, and, and then when you look at the expanse of the universe and, and you start talking about distances of light years, you realize what a magnificent creator our God is. And anybody that would deny it, that's a science falsely so-called. And you say, what's behind all this stuff? It's real simple, folks. Look, don't get fooled by, oh, he's a scientist. What does that mean? Huh? I remember when I was a kid growing up, they always had cartoons about a mad, remember the mad scientist? And it was always a little guy with a white coat uh, down to the floor, and he's walking around going, yeah. <laughs> and you know, that wasn't too far off. <laughs> you know, 50, 60 years later, I, I, I think that was a pretty accurate dis depiction. Just because a guy's got some education and, and, and he's very smart and some very narrow little field. And by the way, you know what the word scientist means? Knowledge. And you know what scientists do? They discover what God created a long time ago. They're just peeling back layers of the onion and discovering things. They didn't make them. They didn't make them. God put all that in there. And you know what? That little article that we put in there a few months ago, it explained how even scientists admit and studies have been made that they don't always tell the, are you ready for this? Truth. <laughs> and I wonder why. Well, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the reason we're talking about this this morning is because uh, weren't we supposed to follow the science when it came to the pandemic, man, I'll tell you what, following the science with that pandemic would be like me trying to go home this afternoon and getting lost going home. <laughs> Something very simple. But if I'd have followed the science, I wouldn't have made it home. I mean, they were all over the place with it all of the time. And that shouldn't surprise us. That shouldn't surprise us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith 
and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, do you know what a lot of the uh, earlier proponents of all this green business and, 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 and preserving the planet and global warming, and by the way, there isn't a single one of us that can do anything to preserve this planet. Who do we think we are? Every once in a while, I'll pick up, a, I'll read an article about scientists are worried about asteroid that could strike the earth. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, you know what they're doing? They're just making themselves relevant. They're hoping they can get a government grant so they can study this. Do they want us to make a big net to catch it? Huh? Do they want us all to freak out and dig a hole and hide in the ground until it, it happens? What is this? But anymore, people think, well, a scientist said it. They're just people. And some know what they're talking about, and some don't. You say, how, how do you know this? Well, first of all, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, uh, which while some having uh, coveted after, have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Uh, don't be afraid of science. Real science is just, it's just truth. And it's nothing to be afraid of. But beware of science falsely so-called. And, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself because we're going to have to wrap this up and talk more, more, more about this, this woke capitalism and uh, some of the power brokers of our day trying to, trying to manipulate uh, the whole world one direction or another because they got more money than they know what to do with, and so they're bored with that. So some of them decided, some for good motives and some for very bad motives, hey, I want to run the world. I want to run the world. It's the one thing I haven't done. I, I've got that on my to-do list, and I haven't checked that box, and I really want to do it before I die. I want to run the world. You know, when I think of that piercing themselves through it, many sorrows, I think there's got to come a point. There's got to come a point that they realize, no matter what their motives were, that they've sure muddled a bunch of it. And that in spite of all their professed influence and power, guess who really runs it in the end? Guess who's really sovereign? Guess who's going to have the final say? <laughs> uh, folks, uh, I'm glad I'm just a little guy. I'm glad that in, in that pond, I'm just a minnow. Would you really want that much power? You know, some of them are just completely misguided. Uh, Bill Gates is buying up all the farmland in, in, in our country. Why? To my knowledge, he's never grown a garden. He doesn't have a green thumb. Probably doesn't know how to start a tractor. <laughs> oh, but, but you know what? He's really, and I'm just going to say it straight, he's really worried about something. This, this is a big worry of his. You listen to him talk. This is a big worry about uh, you know, you know, you know what he doesn't like about agriculture? Which, by the way, I think we all understand because of agriculture, we get to do this thing we all like to do every day, and that's eat. You know what he really bothers him? It's what bothers a lot of these global warming people. Cow farts. <laughs> yeah. And he's buying up bazillions and bazillions and bazillions of acres. And, and, and he's hoping someday 
that, that they could do some sustainable farming, whatever that means. You know all it means is a bunch more people are going to starve. And if you're high up on the food chain like we are, doesn't seem to affect us. People don't seem to care. But, but we're told in James chapter 5, let's go back there. James chapter 5, and we'll have to wrap this up. And you say, well, well all of these guys are, you know, there's, they're, they're up to no good. They, they, they know what they're doing. No, I, th- I think some of them are, are actually sincere. They actually think they're, they're doing good. Uh, can you do wrong and still think you're doing good? Have you ever tried to do something you really thought was pretty good and you made a complete mess and later on you said, man, I, that wasn't such a good thing. That's what these guys are doing, some of them. Now, some of them, I think their motives are, are, are totally nefarious, but not all of them. Let, let me give you an example. And uh, this guy isn't, isn't rich to that point, but he's, he's rich. He got rich through his politics. Uh, former, former mayor of, of New York, Bloomberg. Here, here's what he said about the judgment. He said, I am telling you, if there is a God, well, I can help you with that, Mr. Bloomberg. <laughs> there is. <laughs> If there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. Woo. See what happens? Man, I'm important. You know, I don't wait in the lines when I fly a plane. They just take me right in. I, I, do, I, I go to the best and, 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 and the most, and everybody's interested in everything I say, and they're always taking my picture, and I'm in the news, and I... I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. Now, here's the part he got right. It's not even close. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) But it's not even close as in what you think, Mr. Bloomberg. Now, look, I'm not trying to pick on him, but that's, that's not an unusual attitude with some of these guys. I really believe, for the most part, uh, Bill Gates, with all of his, his nervousness and jerkiness about global warming and everything that needs to happen, I really think he thinks he's doing the right thing. But let's go back to James chapter 5, and let's wrap this thing up. And again, like we said over and over again, folks, this, this, reads, this reads like tomorrow's news. James chapter 5, go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. I'm just going to throw in a little complaint here. I'm going to throw in a little complaint. I would like to listen to conservative talk radio just one time without being sold gold and silver. By the only company that sells it the right way. Because it's coming. And you need to be ready. I like what Dave Ramsey said. You don't need gold and silver for that day. You need lead. <laughs> now, I'm not going to give you all my theories about gold and silver. But you do what you want with this. You, go, you do what you want. And I've had more conversations with more guys that know about way more about this stuff than I'll ever know. Majors in economics and all this other stuff. And I've asked them. I've said, has there ever been a time 
in the history of mankind ever where the currency collapsed and everybody started trading gold and silver. And you know what the answer was? Because I've thought about this. I keep hearing it. Gold and silver. You don't have gold and silver, you're going to die. <laughs> no, I think if you don't have food, you're going to die. <laughs> I think if you don't have bullets, you're going to die. I, and probably a lot of other things. But I don't know. I've never tried to chew gold and I've never tried to chew silver. But I don't imagine it tastes too good. And I've asked, was there ever a time ever in the history of mankind where that became the currency and the answer I get over and over and over and over again is no. Now look, don't misunderstand. Buy it if you want. And if I'm wrong, remember your stupid pastor. And have mercy and pity upon him when that day comes, okay? <laughs> See, I'm just trying to hedge my bets here. But what am I saying? Everybody, I, I thought this, I, isn't this interesting? Look at verse three. I, what do you make of that? Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Um, I read somewhere the other day, in the last 50 years, gold and silver overall have appreciated 2%. 2%. It's very volatile because it's a commodity and a commodity is only as good as everybody sets their affection on it. So maybe when everything collapses, everybody's going to want it. I don't know. I don't see it, but I think that's Isn't that interesting there? He's talking about the rich. He's talking about, telling them to, to, to howl and weep for their miseries that are going to come upon them and, and that their riches are corrupted and their garments are mothing and their gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them, the devaluating of them, is going to be a witness against them. And then he talks about the last days at the end of verse 3. Isn't that interesting? Folks, what am I trying to say this morning? Folks, you don't need a crystal ball. You got way better than that, amen? God laid it out. Nothing takes God by surprise. Thank you, Lord. He's sovereign. And he's running this whole thing. And listen, don't get worried when the... When the when the currency manipulators like Soros and them get, oh, what's he going to do next? God's got him under his thumb. God's going to have the last say about the whole thing. Let's just leave here this morning and go tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Go tell somebody that Jesus died on a cross for them. Because, folks, all the evidence points to he's coming back, and he's coming back soon. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I know this was all over the place, but I, I pray somehow, some verse, some thought from the word of God, something that you can take and apply to each and every one of our hearts would encourage your people as believers to go on, stay on track, be faithful, giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying and bewildered world. Father, we pray for that one without Christ. Maybe listening in this morning or sitting right here in the auditorium, Lord. Help them to turn. Turn to Jesus Christ. Repent of their sins and trust him as their personal savior. And find out the joy 
of having that forgiveness, having their consciences cleansed from dead works to serve the living and the true God. Father, we thank you for your word once again, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 172, one of my favorite songs, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Isn't that a blessing? That was written in the early 1500s. Can you believe that? 
And it's as relevant today as it was then. Uh, Brother Ed Zimmerman. Brother, would you please come up here and close us in a word of prayer? Brother Ed has had some exciting things happen. He got to lead an old friend to Christ back in California. That's true. Amen, brother. Amen. Father, what a blessing it is to know that everything hinges on your truth. Thank you, Father, that we're able to meet here this morning. Hear your word of truth. We're excited about the end. We're excited about serving you. Father, use us this week to pass this truth on to other people that we come into contact with. Our time is short. We need to be used of you. What a blessing it is to hear your truth. Guide us and direct us. Bring us back tonight. And we thank you and praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen.